calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. everybody welcome to bitches on comics today we are only a little bit on comics we are mostly on winona earp which is sometimes a comic but we're mostly talking about the television series in this very special episode where we beg people to bring winona earp back so we can watch more of it i am sarah century one of the hosts and then there is also another host i've been told <laughs> I'm Doc Holliday. Just kidding. I'm Essie <laughs> Fleenor, and I'm so pleased to be here. I can't do Doc's accent. I'm so sorry. I'm your Huckleberry. I'm your Huckleberry. He doesn't say that on this series. No, not not once. Yeah, I please pick up Wine on Herb. If you don't want to make it into a TV show, make it a film. We'll get we'll get into our specific pitches later in the episode. But yeah, that's what we want. Give us what we want. Give us more Wine Herb. Melanie Scrivano, you are incredible. She is incredible. Everybody on this cast is incredible. Incredible. What a ridiculous cast. Yeah. So how do you want to approach this? Because there is so much to talk about when it comes to this character. So I was going to say maybe we can start with the comics. Totally. And then I'll just say also we did a special Patreon episode about Winona Earp, and we will make sure to link to that in the comments if you want to hear us talk in depth about seasons one through three. Today we'll probably do some comics. We'll talk a little bit sort of broad strokes over seasons one through three. We'll get into any specifics we're really pumped about. And then we'll really talk about season four, which just wrapped up this year. So we are super pumped to be here. But as you were saying, we'll start with talking about the comics. Uh, yeah, I was not a huge fan of the old ones. Wynonna Earp is one of like a handful of shows I found on my own. Most TV that I have watched is something someone was like, hey, you should watch this. I discovered Wynonna Earp on my own. I think it was after I was really into Lost Girl and I found out they like shared some creative team members. So I started Wynonna and I was like, oh my God, did they make a TV show for me specifically? I think they made a TV show for me specifically. So I was like, oh, shit, I got to go read this comic. Like, I'm sure it's amazing. So I went back to the beginning, and I'll, I'll say this. I did not like it. I did not like it. However, I've been reading some of the newer comics from, like, 2016, and I actually think they're great. 
I've really enjoyed those ones. And I also know that we have a new collection coming out in September of 2021 that has stories written by Melanie Scrifano, who plays Winona Earp, and then also by Tim Rosen, who plays Doc. I think that seems very exciting. What is your experience with the comics? Yeah, I basically just read the early ones and was like, not a fan, checking out. And it wasn't until after I had seen the series, too. Like, I had already watched the show a little bit before. So that was basically it. Like, yeah, I wasn't really into it because it's definitely like... Do you remember the Kate Beaton comic that was like strong female protagonists where it's like the women who are just like, yeah, and then like they're wearing like heels and they're just like, being sexy is my right. I'm tough. And like all of that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it felt like exactly that. So literally one of our episodes is titled I'm Not Against Sexy Ladies. So just know that we have a lot of nuance about our thoughts here, listeners, if this is one of your first episodes. And it might be. Hi, hello, welcome. We love you. And I think what the problem was for me is Winona was mostly boobs. Like, that's what the character design was. Like, she had giant breasts that just, like, they defined who she was as a character. The design didn't work for me. The writing wasn't, I I didn't think was there. I didn't find her snappy or insightful. I found her kind of blah. I will say, in the series, is Winona sexy as hell? Oh, yes, she is. And she does it in a way that feels very, you know, it's like when we talk about the difference between how Harley Quinn is sexy in Suicide Squad, the first one, versus how she is in Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. Yeah. And, you know, she's still sexy. But what I mean to say is she seems to be dressing sexy for herself. And that's what I feel with Winona. Winona dresses for herself in all the episodes, save the one where she gets drugged and goes for Eamon. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Which we will get into. Which we'll get into. <laughs> I, I think that that was like a big defining difference. I will say in the more recent ones that I've been reading from 2016 and, and later, my guess is that they shifted the character design to match the series to sort of help with sales is my honest guess. And it really works for me. You know, you see a badass woman tearing through, you know, New Mexico, Utah, Idaho on her motorcycle. Her fringe is flailing in the wind. And then also, yeah, she got a little belly showing and she looks hot as fuck because she's being Winona and she's sexy for herself. So that was like a bit of a tirade there. I wasn't expecting that to come out of my mouth. But I do think that's what turned me off the comics initially. I'm enjoying reading the more recent ones, and I cannot wait to read what Scrivano and Rosen are going to be putting forth in their comics. So yeah, but the series, how did you come to it, Sarah? Oh, wait, I told you, right? Yeah, I think it was just a combination (laughs) of people just being like, this series is hella gay, and me being like, was it about cowboys? That's not my thing. And like, (laughs) just being like, (laughs) I refuse, and walking away, and then being like, but in the back of my head, cowboys, question mark? And then finally, at some point, I was like, all right, we'll give it a shot. (laughs) I love it. And so I watched like the first episode and I was like, this is not that good, but I have a feeling it's going to get way better than this. 
because it is still good, but it's not one where I'd be like, must see the next episode of this. But it does get better in the next episode, and it just continues to get better throughout that entire first season until I'm, like, crying about the whole Willa thing. Oh, Willa. I'm weeping over Way Hot, like, day after day, you know, like, through that entire first season because that's, like, when they meet and it's all cute. I love Doc Holliday because he's so funny. So it did definitely endear itself to me very quickly, basically, because it's like even in that first one, even the parts where you're like, sure, they have like no budget and blah, 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 like whatever. It's at the very beginning, you can still tell that it's going to be funny and that like Winona's going to be an, a likable character, right? Yeah, and, and not your typical, you know, hero. She's, she can be all messed up. Yep. <laughs> Flawed. Even, you know, I was just finishing the series last night and this morning, to be real. And there was like a moment there around the campfire and it was about Halloween. And Waverly was like, hey, remember when I wanted to be a scarecrow? And when I was like, oh, yeah, I stole a pair of dad's jeans and some straw. And then you were the cutest scarecrow ever. And Waverly's response is he locked you in the cellar for three days for that. And I think that that casual relationship to trauma because it is so omnipresent in their lives really feels relatable to me. I love Buffy. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. I think Buffy's great. But I never really was worried about being likable in high school. I was never really worried about making the cheerleading squad or even really wanting to be normal because it was so far out of my grasp. So I feel like there's something in in Winona and Waverly and even though they're they're totally opposites about how they react to that trauma, but it is part of who they are and it's it's so again like throughout the series they never lose sight of like these are people who've been deeply deeply hurt. And Waverly's finding ways to heal and she's finding ways to heal even more through her relationship with Nicole Hot and Winona, you know, she tries to heal. She tries to get better. But, you know, for the first three seasons, there is a curse over her head. She must kill 77, 77, I think, revenants <laughs> to be able to end the curse. And no one's ever done it. Mm-hmm. Since Wyatt, no one has ever killed them all. Obviously, the curse exists still. And they've had horrible things happen. You know, her her father, she shot him by accident, but like really he was about to be murdered by a bunch of revenants, you know? Her sister is kidnapped. This is like when she's a baby. Then they're like, oh, you're crazy. Demons aren't real. And you're like, oh my God. Oh, this poor baby. It's like, okay, that's why Winona is who she is. And I think that's what makes the show so appealing. You know, I expect myself to be like there to watch Way Hot because they're every Everything that I dream of in a series. They're so cute. They're so in love. They're so unabashedly queer. They know who they are. Waverly's very comfortable with being bisexual, especially in the last two of the four seasons. And, you know, Nicole knows she's a lesbian and has no beef with that. And they'll they'll confront people about it. And, and I love them. And somehow I fucking cannot get enough. Like, I love Wyonona, you know? Like, I'm so focused on her and her relationship with Doc. And I think it's partially because I know Way Hot is, like, 
Endgame, you know? <laughs> like, from the second right. they're introduced, you're like, this is going to work out. You know, they're going to have some trials and tribulations, but this is going to work out. So, yeah, I don't everybody know. behind the series was like, we're not going to kill them or anything. Don't worry. Yeah. It's like, we won't do that to you. It's all right. Like, you can just comfortably Breathe ship this and couple. enjoy it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is huge because that's like something, right? That so often, you know, people would never even think to say something like that to their fan base. But I think that that's important. And I... I think that the entire cast just absolutely slays it. Like, I love every person that they bring onto this show. And even the ones where I'm like, I don't know where this character is going to go. And I don't know if I'm going to click with them or whatever. It's like the casting is just A+. plus. All of oh, these actors have so much fun. Like, even the ones that are villains or anything. Like, every person just has so, so much fun playing these roles. I think that the more outlandish they get, the more a challenge but like the more believable a lot of the actors can play it and so you can just see a lot of that in the show like you can see the care and the attention to having a good time with it and like kind of embracing what's silly about it but also not being afraid to just go so so serious at like the drop of a hat pretty much like there's times where Winona is just like crying and stuff. And I just think that the way that every one of these actors does such a good job and embraces the character that they're playing so hard, it clicks, it works, everything about it. It's like what sells how goofy all of this is, right? Yeah. And they're aware of the goofy. Like, I think that's really a nice piece of it as well. Just in case you haven't seen it or don't know the premise, the idea is that Winona Earp turns 27. She inherits the curse that has been passed down from Wyatt Earp, who killed 77 people in his life. And all those people now resurrect in a cycle of being murdered by an Earp heir, going to hell, and then coming back, typically with, like, new powers. It is so macabre, you know? It's like this albatross around her neck. She has a magical gun called Peacemaker, which is Wyatt Earp's gun, obviously. When she goes to get the gun, she also lets, turns out, Doc Holliday out of a well. He is immortal. Everyone's like, how? And that's part of the fun mystery of the first couple, well, really the first season, and then it changes in season three. Winona had uh, two siblings, two sisters. One is Willa, and the other is Waverly. I love Willa. Willa is incredible. <laughs> Willa is pretty much only in season one. But at the beginning of season one, they think that she's dead. And then they find out, oh, shit, there are fates. She's Much worse than death. just evil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you know, and, and um, held prisoner by revenants and mentally tortured. So, you know, turns out when you steal children, you can really fuck up their lives. All the Revenants, obviously, are a cast of baddies. You get that Monster of the Week that I just find irresistible. I love a Monster of the Week format. But then, you know, it's always building towards these goals. So the first, you know, set of monsters she really cares about killing are the ones that came onto the homestead, which is where they live, and took Willa that fateful night when Wynonna was, what, like nine, ten, maybe eight? Just a baby, like a fucking baby. You know, so that's a really cool storyline that has a really nice pace. That's when I got hooked, really, really hooked. I mean, I knew I was in, like, the second Nicole Hot was like, I'm going to get you some coffee. Like, we're going to go on a date. And I was like, fine. I love it. It's my favorite show ever made. Fine. And, yeah, that that pacing's so nice. You know, season one really is about that Willa twist, which is so beautiful and heartbreaking. And, and you're just, like, weeping because Willa is just, like, 
I didn't get to be a child. And you're like, no, baby, you didn't. And that's so not fair. But also, like, maybe don't kill everyone. (laughs) Maybe not everyone should die. (laughs) I love the interactions between those sisters. Like, Oh, my God. so good. I am so sold on one evil sister while the other two are just getting closer and closer the whole time. That's a dynamic that is like when you have the three siblings set up. (laughs) It's so good to watch them have to kind of like hash this stuff out. And Willa makes the decisions that she makes, but there's never really a time where you feel like they hate her, you know? It's like Waverly doesn't trust her, though. And that's what I love the most. Waverly's hella smart. And there's no way that Winona would have survived like these four seasons without her. The relationship between those two is really the central focus, right? Like they both obviously have relationships that are so entertaining and that we love so much. But a lot of the point of the series is the relationship between those two. Yeah, and and, and it is too a story of, of someone who inherits a singular curse and believes that it is their job to solve it. And it is, but then finds that actually the only way to change things is to work with other people. And that is a really beautiful take on, like, the chosen one narrative. I'm not a huge fan of, like, only one person can save us all because it's, you know, very white and individualistic. And so I think this is a really beautiful story of found family and healing trauma. And it doesn't look like the way we expect healing trauma to work, right? Like, you're like, oh, I go to my therapist and then I talk about my feelings and then I feel better. And it's like, no, actually, it's about creating new relationships and connecting with people who've also been hurt and forgiving yourself and forgiving them when they're not perfect. And that is a beautiful story, a heart-wrenching story. As this story goes on, right, it basically is that. Like, it is the story of your hero is traumatized all to hell from having to be your hero all the time. Like, she has a lot of problems and she gets more and more messed up as the series goes on. They kind of resolve it, I guess. But then at the same time, there's like moments in season four where you're just like, I don't even know if she's going to get out of this. Like, how do you make up something like that, you know? You see her pushing people away so hard and it is uh, really tragic to see, you know, she like relies on substance abuse. She pushes away this guy who she's like absolutely in love with while you understand why she does it because she is it's hard for her to trust on that level, you know it definitely is still heartbreaking to watch. But the way that she has this like network around her becomes really the heart of the show and how she has to learn season after season that she can depend on these people. Like the whole message of the last season is it's okay if you leave. (laughs) Like go actually. Chase something that makes you happy because it's not sustainable for you to live like this. Yes, yes. Calling that trope kind of into question, I think, is really one of the things that it does so successfully mm-hmm. from beginning to end, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and you know, you think Winona is the most powerful. And, and this is something that I just, I always love a twist like this. And then you find out, oh, Waverly actually isn't the child of Winona's dad. And he's the herb before Winona is. But they are sisters, basically. Like, that's what matters. Yes. And and that's always clear, you know. And they do share, you know, they have the same mom. But it turns out that Waverly's dad is an angel. Or <laughs> because, like, there's so many questions thrown 
they did finally settle on Angel, but then I was like, I bet there will be more to this if it kept going, right? Yes, yes. I think there's definitely lots of fertile ground for a season five. I don't think anything, like, they did a really good job of giving us a close to season four that feels very much like if we ended here, I feel okay. You know, I bawled my fucking eyes out. I could live with this ending, but what if it didn't? Like, what if we got to have a a bigger world for them? What if we could have another season or a film or a series of films, which is what Sarah pitched to me earlier, and I was like, fuck yes. What I see in the finale is so much, not, you know, everything being tied in a perfect bow, but everybody getting to choose what follows for them from a place of hope instead of a place of despair, instead of a place of obligation. And that feels very encouraging and realistic, right? Like, because life isn't over until, like, you die. And, you know, and then who knows what happens then. But we always think of these, like, happily ever after stories, and that's how things end. But, like, people have to still get up the next day, you know, and, like, live. And so I loved this ending because it felt like Doc and Winona were going to get to see some things and be the people they needed to be out in the world. And Waverly, who was always going to be in the Ghost River Triangle, was always going to be in purgatory. That's her home. And now her wife also feels that way. Like, that's just so fucking beautiful. It's really nice. I I really, really thought season four put us in a good place. Again, like, I think there's plenty of material. Like, someone please, for the love of God, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Winerner Earp has an incredible fandom. Uh, It's frequently been called, like, one of the nicest fandoms out there. I, you know, don't have a ton of interaction with the fandom other than, like, I read all their posts and go, "Mm mm-hmm, yes, agreed. I think... There's a lot of built-in viewership. Someone just has to believe in the show. There has to be someone. Please adapt it. Please pick it up and just let us continue the story or please make a, a film series, please. Yeah, I agree. The supporting cast on this TV series is the best supporting cast ever. Oh, my God. The villains that they bring in, all of the different characters that they bring in, Jeremy, it's the best. I can't believe Mercedes, how much I love Jeremy. Jeremy. Mercedes like, is awesome. I mean, the villains, Rosita is, like, my favorite. Kate is my favorite. Bobo is incredible, even. Yeah, even, like, the characters where you're like, I truly do hate this character. This character is a terrible person. Like, Bobo is a terrible person. Oh, the worst. so well acted. And the way that these actors, like we said before, just commit to these characters is always the best part. But I also wanted to note that if you ever want to just cry a bunch, watching that last episode of Winona Earp and then starting from the first episode and comparing Waverly to where she was in the first Ugh. episode to where she is in the last episode so beautiful. is going to make you weep because the level of self-acceptance that just radiates from that character in that last episode as opposed to when she really didn't have it worked out whatsoever, you know, I think is so beautiful. And their very strange wedding is very strange, <laughs> but so also strange beautiful. And cute. They're like, all my friends are dead. So oh, that was heartbreaking. 
It really was. It was very sad, but also once again was another testament to how this show deals with trauma. Yes, it doesn't sweep it away. Yeah. Having a show that actually does that is really rare. So that's why I think it is such an important show and why it does be resonant with people is because of that. So I would love to see it continue as well. They did definitely make it to where we could walk away, but we could come back. Like it's such a kind of open ending and it, we do get to see, it's like a perfect last episode to me. I think mm-hmm. that it has everything that I love about a regular episode of mm-hmm. the show, but it brings in all of this extra stuff that I love, love, love. And like, I love seeing Winona actually have to be vulnerable in a way that, yeah, she has no control over whatsoever. Like she has to like just be real with Doc finally, which is like excellent to watch. The thing they've both been dancing around. You know, I think they have one of the best hot and cold relationships that I've seen on TV. I don't always love that dynamic. I find it very frustrating sometimes. I'm like, oh, like you're just fighting for no reason. Like that's so boring. But they have it's not for no reason here. Exactly. It's always justified. It's always, even my partner and I were talking about, and I don't want to give away too much from the fourth season because it is fresh, but there is, Winona makes this choice that violates Doc's ethics. And Doc is very clear with her before she makes that choice. And then she makes it anyways. My partner and I were talking about it and we were both like, I completely understand why Winona does it. I completely understand. And I completely understand why that is a problem for Doc and he can never look at her the same. You know, like I I see both sides of that and that's what makes that conflict so tragic and heartbreaking and real, like really emotionally evocative. And I really expected them to do what a lot of series do when they have like one last season they know for sure and they might get another, which is like shoehorn in, like let's do overlapping storylines. And I do think this storyline had like a little, it was a little bit loose for the season. The first half of this the season, season four, I was like, yeah, I mean, I love these characters, so I'm happy to be back. The chili cook-off was like the funniest thing I've ever seen. So funny. Oh, oh my God. God. Oh, yeah, because so we we should just make one quick note of the fact that literally there are so many hilarious moments in this last season. It is the funniest, oh I think, by far. I laughed out loud so many times. And then I think the second half of the fourth season has some of the best serial episodes where, you know, it's like the monster of the week or the magic of the week or the problem of the week. And they are so good, including the final episode of the season, which like you said, so many shows would choose to not have a monster of the week in the final one. They would choose to just sort of like, let's wrap up like a big bad, let's wrap up whatever. And this was such a clever ending, I think, because it allowed us to stay really deep in the lore while we're dealing with these these sort of emotional fallout of the season. And it's it's delightful. I love it. I think it's an exceptional show. It's one of my favorites ever on TV. I think that there's some drag in a couple places in season two and season three. Drag never affects me because I am so intense about wanting to see where a story goes. I say never, but I'm going to say rarely affects me. Doesn't season two have like the alternate reality and then season three has the Jolene episode. So those are... Two seasons where it's like moments of drag. It's like, I will take it. Absolutely. I mean, because the Jolene episode is probably the best episode of the entire series for my money. I think it is up there. I think I would say... I love the one with Cupid. That was the one I was going to say. It's so funny. The amnesia one too. 
Yeah, they're all so funny. They go like hard on being so serious for the first six episodes. And then they have like a three episode comedy break, basically. It's so good. It is hysterical. The amnesia one is hysterical. The Cupid one is fucking outrageously funny. A pissed off pansexual Cupid is... I didn't know it was the representation I needed as a pan person but it is. And yeah. there's also all this like queerness in the show, like just so much queerness. Oh yeah, we didn't even talk about how the <laughs> the catchphrase is other ship subtext way hot fucks like way hot, way fucks. hot definitely fucks and I appreciate that and it's like a running joke that everyone's like oh I heard you having sex <laughs> it's like yes cause and then fuck. Nicole is like <laughs> you listen to us <laughs> it's like well I can't not <laughs> and in season four they introduced this great character named Rachel Valdez Rachel I love her I love her she's so so great and Rachel like walks in and they've been fucking in the kitchen and she's like whoa I did not need to see that and Nicole goes, you need to respect the privacy of the kitchen. kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and I love yeah. that people are constantly walking in and they've just like finished fucking or they're like, you know, and they're just like, oh, sorry, the moment took us. And you're just like, thank you. Thank you for showing us some queer women getting fucking down. Like, thank you. You so often that is not what the representation looks like. It's a lot of holding hands and like furtive glances. And I'm not saying that isn't a part of the experience, but I'm saying also the fucking is really refreshing. I also am a hardcore campaigner, as you know, for the Doc is by narrative. And mm-hmm. having rewatched the entire series in the last couple of weeks, I forgot that there was a scene that actually confirms it. There's this teenage ghost witch hysterical episode in season three. It is so funny because she's just such a bitch. You're just like, yes, I love teenage girls. And yeah. she's like, me, 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 to, to Doc. And she's like, what, you and your boyfriend, Wyatt? And Nicole looks at Doc and does like raised eyebrows. And Doc goes, yeah, okay. And you're like, what? And, you know, and he has all this <laughs> sexual tension with like Eamon, who's a new character in season four, who is exudes sex appeal. You're just like, oh, everybody wants to fuck Eamon. And the reason I'm okay, I don't need Doc to be like, I'm bisexual, is A, because he predates the term. (laughs) That term didn't exist when he was alive (laughs) originally, not in his long life, as you know. And then also because, like, there's tons of other characters who are, like, Eamon is like, I'm bi. Like, he doesn't say the words, but he's like, oh, I fuck her, I'd fuck him, I'd fuck them. And then, you know, you got Pan Cupid, and obviously the two characters, uh, Way Hot, who are clearly canonically queer. Also, Jeremy Treachery is gay and, and has um, a boyfriend in season three. And then in season four, it's so fucking tragic. Ah, it's so tragic. But then it's a cute boy at the end, which you're like, mm-hmm. I, I watched three seasons of that. You know, it's just a show that doesn't make you feel, it doesn't make me feel like queerness is some kind of special banner that only two people get to have on a show and then be in a relationship, you know? It feels like queerness is, as it is in my experience, just like sprinkled all around. You never know. Mm-hmm. You never know who's going to be queer, and you never, you never quite know what anyone's gender identity is. And then people share, and you're like, "Oh, damn! There you have it. <laughs> there you have it." <laughs> yeah, I love this series a lot, and I want it to come back. Oh, I want it back so so bad. So okay, we said that Jolene's your favorite episode, the first Jolene episode. Yeah, that's your favorite episode overall. You think? 
Has to be. What is your favorite episode from season one? From season one, it has to be, um, I'm going to say probably the Willa episode where, isn't it the one where they're at like the party and then that's where like hot gets shot like afterwards, right? I think that's one episode. It's hard for me to tell if that was one episode or if it was over a couple episodes, but when they go to the party and they clearly like are super, super into each other and then Willa is very evil and shoots hot, just like that whole thing and how smart Waverly is in it and how Winona doesn't know quite to not trust Willa because (laughs) she's like, I just generally don't trust anybody, but also my guilt is profound and overwhelming. That whole episode was great. I loved that one. And that is episode 13 of season one. For me, it's Bear Me With My Guns On, which is season one, episode nine. It's right after she's defeated the seven, the people she's built up in her mind as like, once I defeat them, I'll feel better. And she has this moment where she's shit tanked. She barfs. Doc follows her into the bathroom is like, are you okay? And she's like, I don't feel better. I thought I would feel better, and I don't feel better. And A, Doc always has the most kick-ass advice. He's so fucking wise, and he's always just, like, popping in and being like, well, in my experience. And everyone's like, well, damn, Doc. <laughs> damn. One, one character goes, that was hot. <laughs> After he gives her advice in season four, it's so funny. <laughs> but, I, you know, he says something like, in my experience, when the anger's gone, all that's left is emptiness. And... I guess I've been that angry and I've been that much wanting to find something to do with that anger and gotten to the other side and been like, I don't feel any better. Like, why don't mm-hmm. I feel better? So I, I I thought that was just emotionally such a powerful episode. Do you know what from season two you would pick? Alternate reality because I'm always a sucker for you go to the alternate reality where you've never met and you're still super, super into each other a la... Xena season six, when fates collide episode. (laughs) I can't figure out which one is the alternate reality. I think it's like either nine or ten. But yes, that episode is so good. I think for me, it's probably, I think it's Whiskey Lullaby. That's the one where they all fall asleep. Then you find out that Winona's pregnant. And I think that it's rare for a TV show to handle a pregnancy so well. Like, that wasn't planned into the series. Right. And be able to, like, integrate it into what's happening in in such far-reaching ways. So often, and it's because, like, babies aren't great on set. Children require a ton more rules because they deserve to be protected, obviously, as actors on set. And so they have this whole reason that she's written out of the show pretty much, their daughter. And I just, I I thought the pregnancy was handled well. And then I thought it was given the gravitas of a pregnancy, right? Like it's not, not something she thinks about, you know, you see her think about it and hurt over it again and again and again. And I really, really loved that. I thought that was brilliant. I love everything about the show. What a great show. There's a few things that I don't, like, go with, but it's real rare. And for a TV series, like, I watched it, and then I watched it again, which is, I don't even do that. Like, I don't even know who I was whenever that happened, because I was like, did I just finish this and then hit play again? That's weird. (laughs) 
Yes. But it's because I love it. And I love Waverly and Hot. I love them. They're the best. They're the best. I think that's the thing is like, for all the flaws, you know, like a couple, I, I don't love always the way they treat their characters of color, but then there's always a counterexample to that too. So I think it's, it's you know, it's a series that, that again, has some flaws, makes some missteps. There's some weird gender essentialism that happens here and there. It's light sprinkling. I'm just very sensitive to it as a non-binary person and a trans person. But overall, I mean, I, I think it's incredible. I, I think we are so lucky. I would not have expected us to get a show like this in a time filled with so much regressive representation and so much regressive politics. It feels like no small miracle that we got any of Winona Herb, let alone four seasons. And I I would love to see it go for 10 seasons. I would love to see all these characters get to use their unique abilities and, and skills and, and hopes to sort of like lead their lives out from, from this moment in time. You told me earlier, you were like, I would love a, like a film trilogy. And I'm like, oh my God, that's such a good idea. I would love mm-hmm. to see that. And we already know that all these folks can handle film acting because they've all been in films. So mm-hmm. what I'm saying is... Get paid by bringing Winona Earp back. Yeah, for sure. Bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it back. It's Bring like it my back. favorite show. I love it. Yeah, you could go watch it too. It's on, I think, Netflix right now. The last season, I think, is you have to buy it still or something. But I believe I so. bought it. I paid $10 for it, and it comes with a bunch of extras. So I recommend. It's epic. All right. We're going to leave you with this one thought. Way hot fucks. That's right. There's no denying it. <laughs> we love you all and Erpers if you tuned in we love you we're right there with you we're all fighting for more 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 you can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything you might shop while working eating or even listening to this podcast and however you shop we all know and love the thrill of the hunt but do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals because Rakuten shoppers do With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. 
So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, hey there, listener, friend, good looking, whatever feels right to you, lifelong companion, lava. We're so glad you're listening to our podcast. Seriously, like we are just so honored. We love to be in your ears, in your mind, teaching you things, changing how you (laughs) see things. This is pretty intimate. Reprogramming your dreams. Oh, yeah, that happened to me. It's just for fun. Yeah, we are just like so pumped that you listen to us. Thank you so much. If you have the means, we would love to have your support over on Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash bitches on comics. The truth is, we run this podcast at a deficit. Sarah and I both work as freelancers. We're out here hustling and we pay a sound engineer. We're okay with that. We're at peace. Like we know what we're doing. But if you have the means to help us out, it would be amazing. We have so many loyal, awesome patrons right now. Thank you every single person who supports us on Patreon. Your dollars, whether they be two or 20, they mean so much. They allow us to continue to do the podcast. And again, we're doing it at a deficit. So if you have the means, come help us out for even, I promise you, $2 a month helps because there's a lot of you. We know because we're watching your listening stats. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And if you can't help, it would be amazing. If you can't help, this is not a guilt thing. We love you. We think you're fantastic. Those pants you're wearing, they look great. That shirt, mm, I wish I had that shirt. I was like bold of you to assume that I'm wearing pants. (laughs) That robe you have on, Sarah, it looks good. Very nice silk robe. (laughs) But I need a new one. Go to Patreon. (laughs) This thing is literally like threadbare at this point. But you know what? That's not what's important. What's important is also on Patreon, you can listen to a ton of free episodes. Patreon.com slash bitches on comics. Spell it out. Don't search it. Type it with your little fingies <laughs> because you can't find us because we like to say the F-bomb, which is fuck. Yeah, just so you know, it's fuck actually is the one. Whenever people are like, can we curse on this show? And we're just like, you have to say fuck or we kick you off of the show. <laughs> we're like, motherfucker, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, excuse me, that's Don't intense. fucking come in here and fucking act like you're not going to say fuck. Like, <laughs> all of our lovely guests will be like, yeah, you know, fuck that. Oh, is it okay if I curse? <laughs> and it's like, well, you did. So I hope so. The comic of the week is The Paradox of Getting Better by Raven Lynn. Sarah, how did you first hear about this comic? That's a great question. I do not remember. It come to me as if in a dream. Um, I, I feel the same way. Like, <laughs> I, I think we both must have found it online at some I point. I think it was a Twitter thing. I just don't remember. But I think that it was basically, here's this post. This comic is a dollar or something. And it was just cheap. And the comment, I believe, talked about how this was something that helped me through depression and stuff like that. I could be making that up. 
as I said, I barely remember how I came across this, but I think that it's the one that I saw and then I sent it to you and you were like, well, I'll put it on the list. And I was like, I haven't read it yet, so I don't know. Um, but I think we both really liked this comic. I really enjoyed this comic. I love it. And just so I don't forget, you can pick it up at Gumroad. So it's gumroad.com slash Clemens. Or obviously, you can Google The Paradox of Getting Better with Raven Lynn. And Lynn is spelled L-Y-N. Raven also has a couple other comics. And they're all only a dollar, you know, max a piece. And I paid more than that because I was like, well, it's a comic. And I'm so glad I did. This is so beautiful. It's so strange in a way that I love. In the way where it makes me think really hard and feel really weird. The art is astounding. It is all pretty much done by pencil, I think. Yeah. And there's just beautiful shading. I love the lettering, the expressions on the like the moon person's face. So the person's like a triangle with like a circular face on that and then like these sort of kind of grotesque arms in a way and they're just they're so evocative as a character and I didn't expect that. I I love it. So yeah, it's about a character who you don't know this at first. You just kind of see this person sort of navigating the world and, and getting sick. And then there's like an alien ship and and they're not clear what's happening. And then they get taken to the moon. And what we find out is they're being taken to the moon to deal with some emotional issues they have. I believe the character says that they are bipolar. And in part with living with being bipolar is that the character has to grapple with some things they've done that they wish they hadn't and things they've done that have really hurt other people. And it is, I do not have bipolar. I have known many people who have, and but I do have anxiety and I do deal with depression and, and there's some similarities there with all the different fun things that can happen to humans. And I just really resonated with this. I thought it was so powerful at demonstrating how grotesque and intense it feels to have a part of yourself that is, if not actively working against you, which in parts of this absolutely is, at least not under your control. And that is, I think, astounding. This comic rules. It's 91 pages. That is wild. The PDF is so long. So for it to be a dollar is wild. But also, it's very interesting. It reminds me visually a little bit of the Matt Groening hell comics, you know, like mm -hmm. childhood is hell, life is hell, work is hell. You know, all of those that he did before he did The Simpsons, it kind of reminds me of that style of things where everything is very bleak and kind of hopeless in some sense. Yes. But also this one kind of goes further into like while that's happening, what if I'm suffering from, you know, trying to get diagnosis for these things that really upset my friends and family? But also how am I going to live, you know? And I think that that's it's a very fascinating comic because you kind of look at the style and you're just like oh this will be kind of a funny cartoon or something and it is funny like there's parts where it's really funny but it's oh, yeah. also dealing with just unbelievably heavy subject matter for being something where you're just like oh this will be kind of a jokey satire or something and it's just like no no this is a very serious comic in a lot of ways because it's dealing with mental illness and like trying to be a better person and it's having your efforts undermined you know whenever you are trying by people who 
certainly just aren't willing to view you in an objective light. They're not able to view you in an objective light because of things you've done, but also because you aren't what they expected you to be. And Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of that in this where this character is trying, failing, but also sometimes just being held to an impossible standard too. So there's feelings on all sides of how we kind of fail each other sometimes and how we aren't always as sympathetic as we should be to the people who are the closest to us. So I think that there's just a lot to this. I was kind of blown away by a lot of it. Yeah, I, I think that we both sort of, you know, picked it up and I was like, well, you know, if, if we don't want to make it a comic of the week, we can always talk about it for the Patreon and like, we'll see. Like, I'm, you know, always open to try things. And there, there have been some comics we've both read and ultimately been like, you know, it's good. It's it's fine. But, it, you know, I don't want to make it a comic of the week because I don't want to talk about it for 10 minutes or so. You know, like, I don't think I have mm-hmm. that much to say. And this is one that I just, it's devastating. It is so beautiful. The The character does something they can never undo. And that is just frankly awful and I'm not going to tell you what it is because I think you need to read it but mm-hmm. then that's what leads to the the leaving and going to moon school which is really the second half of the book I kind of forgot that it didn't happen till later I was just looking through and I was like wow that's right that doesn't happen right away mm-hmm. and then you know this person who has been so you know maligned and done terrible things like we can't pretend that's not what happens goes to the moon and is like here now I'm gonna help other people heal And that is what a testament of hope that the character would try to also help other people understand how hard it is to understand like not just how hard it is, but like what it means to live in a society with other people and how we have to learn to understand ourselves and bring ourselves into the world where we're not violating other people's rights to be alive. Mm-hmm. And and in the process, ends up back in the situation of, I believe, the character's mother from the first half of the book, where the mother is just like, why are you doing this? And at some at some point, this character is talking to the other people who are also trying to get better at moon school. And it's like, why are you doing this thing? And it's just a really interesting reversal. And it doesn't mean that the person's all better and gets everything and feels better. It's just that it's their journey is complex and ongoing. And I love that the book doesn't end with a pretty bow. You know, this character, and I think the creator, as Sarah said, talked about some of their own experiences that are similar, is going to be living with that forever. Like, I'm going to live with depression and anxiety for my entire life to maybe greater and lesser degrees, depending on if I take meds or if I'm getting enough sleep or whatever it is. But it it is, I think, powerful to see such a raw investigation of a deeply internal experience externalized in a deeply compassionate way. Yeah, nobody, there's not really a lot of forgiveness in this except for forgiveness of the self, right? Because it's mm. essentially what we're left with sometimes, especially whenever you know, you do something that in the moment you probably didn't think was bad. For instance, this character has really sharp teeth. And so I'm just going to say that expecting them to like not ever use those really sharp teeth for anything might be projecting some unreasonable expectations. So it kind of talks a little bit about, you know, how we're born into a society that encourages all of these, you know, myriad bad behaviors all across the board and that we all kind of have to navigate that. And that there's something about, you know, you do things in some friendships and relationships that 
you just kind of really can't take back or yeah. like you don't even know in the moment like that it sucks as bad as it does, you know, but then somebody tells you, of course, or like the relationship ends and then you think about it, but it's sometimes those relationships are just done. Yes. And vice versa, right? Like there's people who, you know, I like won't talk to again probably in my life because we had a bad matchup. And that's just how it is sometimes. Whenever those relationships go kind of haywire, it's what do you do with those feelings, you know? Mm. And I felt like that's a lot of what this was about was being kind of like, I'm better when I'm away from those relationships. It doesn't undo what I did, but also I'm kind of just better whenever I'm around other people that kind of understand a little bit of where I'm coming from, or at least they're making some kind of effort and there's not this kind of, oh, well, like you did wrong and we did right kind of attitude that I think the family has a little bit, right? Which is, once again, it's understandable because they really do go through hell. But also, like, what do you do after that, right? The people don't get to just vanish or disappear or something because they did something that was bad, you hopefully would do what this person does, right? And go try to like work things out. And once again, maybe try to just distance yourself sometimes from the people who have hurt you or that you have hurt because at a certain point, maybe you're just not growing together anymore. And a lot of that was in kind of the subtext. Like, once again, this is kind of a silly, goofy sci-fi comic in a way. So it's, you know. It's working on multiple levels at once, I think. And that's yeah. that's why it's like, I can more describe the emotional tenor of it yeah. and the themes than I can the plot. Even though, like, because I also don't want to give anything away, but I think you hit the nail on the head, Sarah. I think this is very much about self-forgiveness when there probably is no option for other kinds of forgiveness. Right, which is how it is sometimes. Exactly. And I think that that is probably why it it struck me so deeply. I Mm -hmm. love this comic. I did too. I thought that it was a comic that, you know, I tried to underestimate it. And it definitely kind of proved me wrong, (laughs) I guess. You know, you can see like the holes on the pages and some of them. And and I think a part of my brain was like, oh, we're looking for polish. And then I was like, why? Like, this is, it doesn't matter. That's part of the, like, beauty of this, you know? Mm-hmm. And people like, obviously, like Linda Berry and stuff have been yes. doing art, you know, that's on notebook paper and stuff. And, and it is art, right? And there was something about that, too. That kind of era of cartoonists, the Linda Berry, Matt Groening kind of era of maybe like the late 70s early 80s or something like that kind of vibe of yes totally this weird journey that is metaphor but it's also a very real story that's kind of what this all just reminded me of and I'm definitely comparing you know this artist to some of the best people out there like Linda Berry is one of my very favorites so whenever I give that as a compliment it is no small feat so I would say definitely check this out because if you have had to go through kind of any reconciliation process with somebody or anything like that or just felt bad about a friendship that didn't necessarily have to end but it did you know like that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff I feel like this would be a good thing for you to read. Absolutely. So it's The Paradox of Getting Better by Raven Lynn. Go check it out on Gumroad. You can get it for just so cheap. And uh, some trigger warnings, you know, beware there's some violence. There's a lot of depictions of people really struggling with how they fit in society, also struggling with, you know, mental illness they experience. So if you're not in the place to read those things, take a beat, but come back to it when you are. I think it is worth it. 
podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So <laughs> we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, there's no I'm bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly, but don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.